The integration of truth, even if it's through secular songs, can be that which is uplifting in our own souls with respect to who God is and what he has done for us. And then the compilation, the overlay, on how that looks for people who are on the planet that were our fathers. Um, some of you, you think, well, my dad really wasn't the wind beneath my wings. In fact, he kind of kind of kept me on the ground. Um, there is hope for you. There is hope. And I hope today that you can find a whole lot of healing because um, there are no perfect fathers and everybody's got a story. It may not be very healing or helpful to know that there are other people like you but it is at least good to know that you're not alone, that there are other people out there who have overcome things, yours truly. Although those of you who are meeting me today uh, or have known me for a minute may think somehow that I have, I came out of my mama with a Bible in my hand speaking in tongues from the womb. Not the case. In fact, there is nothing about my life that would lead you to believe from my early years that I was actually geared toward ministry. In fact, I probably should have been a stat the other direction. And my father could not in any way be described as the icon of fatherhood. No way. Many mistakes, and most of those mistakes are emblazoned in my mind, yet they are covered with the concept of forgiveness. I don't hold him in any way responsible for who I am and not today. I, hold, I, I thank him for who I am. Meaning there's healing. There's hope. There's no smell of smoke on me with respect to the pain that my dad may have caused me. And today I hope there is healing that is ministered to you as a result of the mistakes that your father may have made for you, with you, and and that in the context of saying not only is there healing for you, but there is honor for him. You online, bless you. Glad to see you today. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. And if your father was not, you are a father today, and your father was not what he should have been to you, then you can make up for it by making sure that you are what you should be to your kids. But the longer you go, you realize, oh, I am my dad. I realize, I, as much as I don't want to be what he was to me, gosh, it's hard for me to be everything I need to be for them, so I understand more about why he wasn't what he should have been to me. Mercy and grace seems to accompany you the more you walk in somebody else's shoes. There is no harder job on the planet than being a parent. Mother or father, it is hard. You are given responsibility for the most important stewardship on the planet. The, 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 the hope and the progress of another life. And when you get that responsibility, you have no manual and you are completely irresponsible. God gives the most important thing to the people who have never done it before. You who are firstborns, sorry. <laughs> You're the guinea pigs. 
I tell that to my son Joseph regularly. Sorry, we practiced on you. Grant, the baby, he really got great parents. We didn't know what we were doing. We, that, that's, a, that's the way it goes. You don't know. And if you aren't parented well, then you don't, you're, you're making it up as you go. Now you, you do your best to try to open up the scriptures and find, find out what the truth is. But as you are mapping out what it means to be a parent, you're also trying to make sure you don't go the wrong direction when your soul wants to. And so you're, you're, you realize, well, I think it's supposed to be this way, but I, everything about me wants to do this. And so you're fighting against your, your own flesh and what you shouldn't be trying to become what you should be. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. And it's not just hard in terms of effort. You realize your mistakes in the distance that is created between you and your child. It's not just you realize your mistakes and that you say, oh, I was wrong. I need to repent. Now you have somebody else that needs to accept your repentance in order for a relationship to be restored, and you don't know if they ever will. Now you're stuck. You can't make up for it with money. The mistakes are already made. You think probably you have created at least one appointment with a psychologist because of your actions. Your child is going to have to sit on somebody's couch. What do you do? You say you're sorry, but it may not be enough. Well, then you're living what you had to live with your dad. What did you do? Did you just continue to live with bitterness and anger and resentment? Or did you find the cross and mercy and realize probably your dad did what he did only because that's all he had. To, he, he didn't have anything to work with. My dad, uh, I, I didn't understand my dad that well. We're going to get to the Bible in a minute. I didn't understand my dad that well, didn't. He was, uh, he was pretty tough. And um, I didn't mind it. I just didn't understand it. I loved the boundaries. Uh, I, I wanted to know what was right and everything within me every day. wanted to be just like him. just like him. every day of my life all I wanted to be was him but <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't figure out why he was the way he was I would try to connect with him emotionally my mother and father were on opposite ends of the personality spectrum my mother was Miss Gooey Ooey she was lovey-dovey all the time. Have I told you today, lately, that I love you? Every day she'd say that to me. Yes, you told me this morning. <laughs> this morning you told me. My dad was distant from the word love. Not that he didn't, but the word. It just didn't flow out of him very much. And I wasn't mad about that. I just knew that they were different. And my dad was strong. He was, he was the John Wayne type of human being. That's, that's what we grew up with in my generation. Dads like that. They didn't express their feelings. Dads didn't take off work in order to see their children born. That was just weird. Nobody would ever do that. But today you take off five weeks. Five weeks, five weeks you get a paternal leave. Never, never, never. 
he showed up when the nurses and doctors said, you got a boy. Everything was different back then. Not wrong. Not wrong, just different. And I couldn't figure him out until I went to visit his father. And I spent two weeks with his father as my grandfather, his dad, was dying of pan pancreatic cancer. Sat by his bed every day and just talked to him and had the privilege of leading him to Jesus and finding out what his story was in the beginning. It was fascinating. One of the best two weeks of my life. Every day, sitting at his bedside, just talking. And I, after about a week, I said, I got it. I got it. My daddy couldn't give it to me because he didn't have it. He didn't have, it to, he didn't have affection to give because his daddy didn't give it to him. I have a book that my grandfather wrote for Tuskegee University. He was the head of the math department in 1947. And they didn't have Tuskegee enough money to be able to buy math books for the entire math department. And so they said, could you please write one? And so he wrote one, and it was published, and I've got a copy. The copy that I have is the one he dedicated to my dad, and he wrote in it. It's just flat precious, 1947, just precious. The end of it, most of us would say, with love. He says, your dedicated father forever. My dad never could say love because he never heard it said. <laughs> I ain't going to blame my daddy no more for nothing. The only, the only reason he was the way he was is because his daddy made him that way. Oh, daddy, I forgive you. No, in fact, it's not even an issue anymore. I'm letting it go. You got what you got honestly from Adam. The only way we are different is if we get stuff from God. It's the only way we're different is if we get stuff from God. And maybe your daddy didn't get enough. He got a whole lot from Adam, but not enough from God. But you have an opportunity to get all you need. Are you listening to me? My children don't know a thing except what I tell them about how I grew up. Because I got what I needed from my God. Amen. My daddy fathered me where my earthly father could not. So every day, my children hear something about when they walk through the door. How you doing, champion? How are my great people today? I love you. That's all they hear all the time. True. <laughs> That's all they hear all the time. That's how I greet them care for them, talk to them. They don't know anything about how I grew up because I got fathered differently by the ultimate father. There's hope for you that it doesn't have to live on through the next generation. <laughs> Having said that, there are some things that I will always cherish from my father. Play it. I'm in love, he's in love, I'm in love, he's in love, I'm in love, he's in love, I'm in love, he's in love. Well, I held your baby in my arms last night. I hugged your baby and I squeezed you tight. 
1957, my dad was a recording artist, and he uh, was found by, he was in the military, uh, he had finished dentistry school, and he had to give a couple of years to the military, because he was drafted in 1947, uh, he deferred it to go to college, um, and then he deferred it again to go to dentistry school, graduated, had to give two years to the Air Force, was on leave with some buddies of his down in Tuskegee, Alabama, they went out to a bar, happened to be talent night, and uh, they bet him a $2 pitcher of beer. Said, you won't get up there and sing on stage. He said, oh, I'll take that bet. It's a Hollywood story. He got up, he sang. There was a record producer in the audience. They said, could you come to Memphis and, and do a demo? He said, yep. Within two weeks, he had an honorable discharge from the Air Force. And in, within four weeks, he had a song on the charts. And within six weeks, he was on the road. For a year and a half, he did uh, concerts and bars, and he wound up on the Jack Parr show, which was the um, predecessor to Johnny Carson. Uh, my dad was kind of famous, kind of famous. Uh, that song is the flip side to, no, excuse me, there's an, there, he, he made f six songs. Um, one song went to number one, called Summer Love, and then the flip side of that, which was Back to School, went to number nine. He was the competitor to Nat King Cole on another label. Um, these are the things that I cherish. Things that my daddy gave me. Now, you say, where did I find that? Went on the internet and I bought probably 30 copies of these 45s. And I've given them to all my children, my sisters and brothers, because there are things that you guard from your parents things that you hold on to from your parents. And I want to talk to you about that today because Solomon was somebody who held on to stuff from his daddy. Turn with me over to the book of Proverbs. Told you I was going to get there. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. The title of the message is, Daddy Used to Say. Daddy Used to Say. Hear, O sons, the instruction of the Father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, verse 3, tender and only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live, verse 5. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Verse 9. She, she will place uh, on your head a garland of grace, and she will present you with a crown of beauty. Lord, help us. We study your word today. Amen. Three things. We need to guard, we need to gain, and we need to grow. Solomon is known historically as the wisest man who has ever lived outside of Christ. 
the fame of his wisdom spread so abroad that people would come from hundreds of miles away, if not thousands, just to hear what he had to say and to view the order and architecture of his servants and what he has built in terms of his palace and the temple of God. Astounding, was it? And they were never disappointed. Whatever they had heard, Queen of Sheba, for instance, Queen of the South, somewhere we believe what, around what is Ethiopia today, came and said, when I, when I came to you, I had heard something about you, and that's why I came. But the half was not told me. She stayed nine months trying to figure out how he ran his kingdom well. Nine months. This is how great Solomon was. And, it, and, and for all of his greatness, um, we, 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 we do our best to try to recapture that in our own lives by memorizing the Proverbs and, and, and applying them to our lives. But for all of his greatness, we forget about sometimes how he got it. Chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 are all framed in what I just said, what I just read. These are the words that my father taught me. So where in the world does Solomon get all that wisdom? From his daddy? From David? Now, we're not quite sure whether David had this wisdom when he was having kids in his younger years because Solomon was in his aged years. In other words, Solomon was Grant. Solomon was a baby of the family. Boy, you are a really good father to your last. David had learned some things. And it's not that he didn't have it when he was young. In fact, he had some tremendous wisdom. Nobody ever responded to the kind of persecution and threats that David did ever. We don't have any record of somebody uh, worshiping God by obe obeying authorities that were trying to kill him. He was outstanding. And this is one of the reasons that the father decided to allow the, the name, the moniker of David, to, to be applied to his own son, whereby they would call Jesus the son of David. Not the son of Adam. Not the son of Abraham. Great men from whom he could go ahead and take a moniker. But God said, I want you to be known as the son of David. David was great. But he was never more great than in his latter years as he was trying to communicate wisdom to his son. Now, the beauty about this is that everything in this passage, <laughs> we know the Bible is the word of God. We got that. But remember, when Solomon was writing this, he didn't know it was going to be inscribed as canon. He didn't know it was going to be put as holy writ. He was just writing it so people could get it. There are other places in the Proverbs where he describes how it's important for us to follow God and to make sure that we are on the path that is spiritually correct. But here we have no reference of, of the Father, no reference to, to the God above. It doesn't mean that he's not inserted into the ideas of wisdom. But what it means is this. We're learning about what David said to his son, but it sounds like God is speaking. Can't tell the difference. Daddies, did you hear me? We're learning about what David said to his son. But it sounds like God is speaking and you can't tell the difference. Is there anything about your voice that sounds a whole lot like God? To where your children can't tell the difference. Ought to be every day. Ought to be every day. 
Am I saying that somehow you replace him? No. I'm saying that you are his echo. That everything that flows from you is spiritually true. It is based on the word of Almighty God. And when you speak it, it has his anointing and his backing. When David spoke, Solomon couldn't tell the difference between the word of Almighty God and his daddy. That's the way it ought to be in every house. And boy, it's hard today to raise kids. It's always been hard, but it's super hard now because there are so many other voices out there. And they are easy to ascertain. They just got to open their phone. Click on social media and somebody will tell them something completely different than what you said. How they should be raised. How they should be talked to. How they should be understood. What personal preferences mean. And how everybody in the family needs to really uh, 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 work around and, and, and modify their actions according to them. Because that's what love looks like. If you really love me, you would prefer me. You'd understand me and my opinions and you'd value what I say. You're six. <laughs> you're six. You're ten. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you're talking to? Where did you get this information? Parents never want to have to show their stripes. And they should not. But there are times when authority needs to be laid down when other voices are speaking. When there needs to be no equivocation about who is in charge. How we show that is super important. We do not do it by intimidation. We do not do it by force. We do it with truth. When they're younger, there are other ways to make sure truth is ministered. And it is terrible today, I'm telling you. If a parent ever speaks about corporal punishment, everybody equates it now to abuse. The Bible and the way the Bible says parents ought to be able to discipline their children is now looked at as abuse. That's how unbiblical we are today. Now, there are ways to, to discipline children that are abusive. And no parent should ever employ those. A child should never be disciplined in anger. Never should there be a mark left. Never should it be uh, uh, that which is injurious to the child physically, ever. It is simply to drive a point home that cannot be driven home with just words because two-year-olds are irrational. They don't listen to words. They will defy you. They will prove their authority. And you cannot reason with a two-year-old, I've tried it seven times. <laughs> it doesn't work. So how do you keep them from killing themselves? How do you keep them from destruction? How do you keep them from danger? People say time out. Hmm. <laughs> I've never been a fan of time out. Let me tell you why. Time out puts a child all by themselves to try to figure out what truth looks like. With no discipleship, no help, no love, no instruction. Just go in there for 20 minutes until you figure out what's right. How does that help a four-year-old? 
You think isolation is the best way to do it? I'm sorry. You may employ it all the time. I'm not trying to say what you're doing is wrong. I'm just saying I don't agree. I can't find Bible that allows me to say that that is the best way of discipline. And you've, if you've been with me long enough, you know that I base just about, just about, I base everything I do on what Scripture has to say. And the stuff that I mess up on, obviously, I've blown. But the stuff I try to do right, I do it on the basis of chapter and verse. And I can't find anything that allows me to mirror what God does with me for a child that says, I'm just going to let you go. I ain't going to talk to you no more. I'm going to send you off to your room by yourself, and you figure it out. And when you figure it out, you come back and talk to me. God has never done that to me. He always accompanies me in my stupidity. He helps me out of the pit in which I've driven my life. He never leaves me and he never forsakes me. That's why I hate timeouts. Are you listening to me? If you want to employ it, do it. Can't find anything against it in the Bible. I'm just saying I can't find anything for it. I do believe discipline is really, really right when it comes to taking that Home Depot paint stick and applying it to a person's backside. And I realize people have done it wrong. I understand there is pain out there. I get it. I really do. And there is help and there is wholeness. But simply because somebody did it wrong doesn't mean it is wrong. God helps us to do things right. And there is not a child that has come through my... There's not a child that's been in my house that hasn't experienced the joy of discipline. Every one of them. Every one of them. And no, it was not fun, but you have no idea how we did it. Come here. Come here. You blew it. That was really wrong. You should not have taken your brother's Batman figurine and then slapped him over the head with it. That was bad. (laughs) They don't even make Batman figurines. You know how old my kids are now. So, you need to go apologize to your brother. Tell him you're sorry. You need to give his Batman figurine back to him. And you need to ask him to forgive you for what you've done and say you will never do it again. Those three things are super important whenever you're talking about discipline. Sorrow, remorse for what you've done, apology for what you've done, and repentance. That's how God does whatever he does in order to restore. Those three things were always a part of our discipline. Our discipline took a long time. God takes time with you. Now, my mother did the best she possibly could, but I never got any of that. I got whatever was close as a disciplinary tool, a spoon, a shoe, a belt, anything, just beat the mess out of me. And because I was the first, I got most. My, my siblings looked at me and says, oh, I ain't going to do that. Mm, no, 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 whatever he did, I'm not going there. I got them all the time, all the time. But, and, and then there was no sit down and talk, no, it, it was just bye. And you got to figure it out. Ours took 10 minutes. 10 minutes, at least. Okay, now come here. You you sin, and so that was really wrong. You're going to have to be disciplined. You know what you did wrong? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Ask God to forgive you. You're going to do it again? No, I won't do it again, Daddy. Turn over. He's crying. I do not let him leave my arms until he's smiling again. Because I don't want him to believe that somehow he's rejected from me. There's no separation. We got closer as a result of the discipline. And so I pray for him. Lord, please strengthen him. Bless him. Help him. Thank you for this son. He is great. 
And I pray that you would give him the ability to never do this again. Amen. And then I tickle him and let him go. In 30 seconds, it's as if it never happened except they're better. That's what discipline looked like in my house on a regular basis. Now, it didn't always look like that because sometimes we had six children disobeying at the same time. <laughs> so you had to pick your moments, but that was the standard. Are you listening to me? That's a standard. You do it like that. You're, you're mimicking. You are imitating what God does with us. It's hard, I know, parents. It's hard. But you can do a great job of raising great kids. And boy, we need great people today. We need great people. We just don't need moral people. We need great people. And if anything, our method of discipline or God's method of discipline is to instill, if anything, it is to instill this, that there are consequences to wrong deeds and there is forgiveness when somebody repents and, and restoration when they want to come back home. All of that is taught through discipline. If you don't teach it like that, the kids have to learn it later. But the, but the problem is they already have some things ingrained in them that are wrong. And either they are so rejected for whatever they've done, they don't believe that God could ever forgive them because it's so bad. Or they have no conscience. So, so I did wrong. They have no need to repent. They have no remorse at all. They don't learn how to respond to God and how God responds to them. This is what parenting is about so that when they are out of your presence, when they are no longer under your roof, somewhere around 37, <laughs> they will be able to respond to God. They'll be able to respond to God beautifully because you taught them. Why do people come to church? They come in order to get better and to learn more and to be a part of the body. But most of them are, are coming, especially from the world, to say, who is God and how can I respond to him? I, I don't know how he responds to me. I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know what he thinks about my sin. I don't know what he thinks about me. I don't know how to get forgiven. I don't know anything. Your children growing up ought to have that in spades. They ought to know it. Solomon said, I got what I got from my daddy. He gave me the springboard so that I can respond well. All this wisdom that people are coming from around the world to hear, it's just because my daddy put me on his knee and taught me. Daddies, you have a huge role. Take it. Be responsible. And if you don't know what you're doing, if you feel the burden now, but you say, how do I do that? This is where discipleship comes in so that you can be discipled to be a really good dad by somebody who is a good dad and you can stand on their shoulders and let their experience be yours rather than you making mistakes through your experiences and learning. Get somebody who, who's done it before and say, help me so I can help my children. Guard. He said, I guard the things that my daddy told me. Saints and commandments. My daddy, when I was growing up, he gave me a couple of things, but some of the things that stick in my brain, I, don't, I, 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 I remember them, but I don't know how to guard them very well. They're half-truths, but they're not. He said this, boy, if I tell you. We were having a conversation one day in the car, 
This happened all the time. He'd tell me something that was incredulous. I just, I just thought, that really happened? You, you did that? And so I'd respond with, Dad, really? And in sort of a rebuke, but a response that shut me up in a hurry that was logical, he would respond like this regularly. Boy, if I tell you a grasshopper's a horse, get your saddle. Yeah, but that's not true. Okay, Abs- you got it. Yeah, yeah. That was my daddy. There are some things that we need to hear from God, his word, his commandments, that don't just resonate as sayings that are humorous later, but resonate on the inside of us as truths to be followed. David gave his son some commandments and sayings. He said... I, Solomon, am following these things. Secondly, there are things we need to to gain. He says, gain wisdom, gain understanding. Get as much as you can. Now, the difference between wisdom and understanding starts at knowledge. Meaning this, knowledge is the acquisition of information. Understanding is when you put that information together whereby it makes sense. Wisdom is making good decisions based on that understanding. When you have those three things together, you can live a life that is going to be fruitful because you'll always make really good decisions based on all the understanding you have from the knowledge you get. This is why going to school, kids, is important. I know. I hated it too. In fact, I'm about to go back and I don't like it. I'm about to go back. Yeah, I'm going I'm to finish something that I didn't start way back when. Now that I'm not going to be pastoring here every time I'm going to get my, my doctorate. It's going to be a lot of fun, sort of. <laughs> but knowledge, the more information you get, the more understanding you have. And the more understanding you have, the better decisions you can make because now you understand things. That's the whole basis of getting as much knowledge as you possibly can to be really wise. Now, there are some people who get a lot of knowledge, get a lot of understanding as a result of that knowledge, but then still choose not to make good decisions. So everybody knows that smoking is bad for you. There's enough information out there to, to, to drown you. And they understand why, because right on the back of the package, it says this is dangerous to, to your health and it will kill you. They understand that, but then they light up anyway. There are reasons why people do things in spite of the understanding. And that's where the disconnect is, whereby ministry comes in so that they can now find healing and hope beyond their bondage or the thing which has now captivated them other than the word of Almighty God. Wisdom allows you the privilege of being free from things that you've been in bondage to. But if your body is now enslaved to this thing that you are supposed to be in charge of, remember God told Adam, rule over all the earth. And now when somebody's doing, when they're enslaved to to, to tobacco, that plant is ruling them. It's backwards. Any, Any addiction is backwards from how God intended. It's something in the earth that is ruling over you rather than you ruling over it. 
And so we call that scripturally, I, I don't know what to do with the word addiction because it's not found in scripture, we call it bondage. And God has freedoms that separate us from the bondage so that now we are enabled to make great decisions. If you find yourself in the, in the place of not being able to make a good decision, even though you have all the understanding, you need help, you need discipleship, and somebody needs to pray for you. You may need some psychiatric counseling. I'm not against any of the psychology behind it, but I do know this, that there is a power of Almighty God that when applied well can set you free. You need to gain wisdom and understanding. Gain it. It doesn't just arrive. You must go and acquire it. Seek after it. Daddies. And then lastly, he said, we need to grow. We need to grow in our understanding of what it means to remember well, and we need to grow in our understanding of direction. He says, remember these things. Don't forget what I've taught you. Make sure that you are, are rolling them around in your brain on a regular basis in order to remember the word of God well, which is the stuff, which is the, which is the tool that has the stuff by which we can all make great decisions for our families, dads. If we are to remember the Bible well, it's, it's a prerequisite, is it not, that you first must gain the information in it? I mean, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but there is no remembering if you didn't first get it. So you must read your Bible every day. Get in this word regularly so that you have some stuff that you can remember. Because I, I promise you this, there will come paradoxes and conundrums and difficult problems that your children will bring you into. You will be pulled into, not drawn, pulled into. And you'll, <laughs> what do I do now? I love them, but they really messed up and they messed up all of our money. They messed, I got to go get a lawyer now. I got to figure out what to do when they, they, they messed up so bad, they got to repeat the grade. Should we do that with the humiliation of them now seeing their, their friends go on in the same school? How do we do God, help! And although it may not be your, your fault, there is never a time when a parent doesn't feel responsible. Never. 70-year-old parents feel responsible for 50-year-old kids. It is true. 50-year-old kid made their own mistakes. But the parent says, oh, where did I go wrong? Oh, gosh, oh, what do I do now? And you're, 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 you're pulled all the time with how much do I help? It's not enabling. What do I do to assist without harming? And then, and then how do I stand back without feeling neglectful? Oh, it's you got to read your Bible. Because there's nobody in Scripture that hasn't been through where you've been, where you're going. Nobody, nobody. Listen, I, I'll say that differently. <clears throat> scripture will help you in that somebody has been through what you've been through. And it will give you the best solutions to be able to handle it. Read your Bible. And then lastly, grow in your direction. Know which way you're going. He said, go this way. My daddy told me to go this way. Know the direction in which you're going. Know the direction that you want your family to walk in. Know it. I'm not saying that you need to direct the child in the way you believe they should go. You weren't everything you wanted to be in sports and now you want your child to be? I'm not saying that. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, not in the way you wanted to go but couldn't. 
in the way he should go, she should go. So you find out the gifts and the talents on the inside of that child, how God has, has wired them, how he has gifted, and then you begin to say, ooh, you've got a, you've got a real proclivity for languages. You're excellent at this. You, you, you're able to pick up a whole... We're going to help you be a linguist, linguist. Maybe you can be an interpreter for an embassy someday. Oh, you're, you're a really good musician. You got that perfect pitch thing going on. And you, you, we need to get you, you in music. You could figure out numbers. You're amazing. We're going to get you in mathematics. It doesn't mean just train a child in the way you should go spiritually, though that is important. It also means how has God made them on the inside? parents your job is to help direct them in that way now it may be that they don't want to go that way you can't make them but you can at least direct them put their feet in the water help them feel what it's like to succeed in the gifts that God has given them naturally and spiritually and watch what God does as a result never once never once did I tell any of my children that they needed to be a ministry I never even encouraged them they just watched and they watched how daddy did it. And then I began to see one of them after another feel like they were called. I said, oh. And then as they were called, I kind of discouraged them. <laughs> My son Tellus came to me and said, uh, dad, I think I'm called to ministry. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. I said, well, if, if, there's, if there's anything you can do other than ministry, if there's anything that strums your strength in your heart other than ministry, please do that. Because once you do this, there's no going back. Not in my book. Not vocationally. Now, if you want to just be a minister and do bivocational, that is great. But if you feel called by God to do, the way, do it the way I'm doing it, then you need to feel that calling because everything that comes against you will begin to test whether you are called to do this or not. And you will have many opportunities to exit. I tried to discourage them because if God called them, I couldn't uncall them. And I got four now. I don't know if I'll have more, but this is pretty cool. And all of them are doing really well. I'm just saying, parents, give them a sense of what it means to grow in direction. Direction. What are they supposed to do? And the best way to do that is to model your own life so that they want to emulate who you are and whatever they're called to do. The last thing you want is for them to boomerang not boomerang. They'll do that, by the way. They will come home. <laughs> the last thing you want is for them to, uh, uh, what is it right? Reject a direction as a result of not wanting to be like you. You don't want, you don't want them to have to hurdle you to get where, where they need to be. Hope this has been helpful. Lord, please bless these folk. Pour out your goodness on them and help the dads today to understand how they can better parent their children in Jesus' name.